Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, The Risen Life, in which we look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and consider what Jesus' resurrection means for us who have been raised to new life in Christ. Here's Pastor Nick. Good morning once again. Go ahead and take your seats. Welcome. So glad to see you all today here at Whitefields Community Church. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Well, listen, in, all the, in their group, they were all equals, and yet he was the type of guy that other people look to naturally as a leader. He was assertive, he was bold, he was confident, and if he was honest, he would have admitted that he kind of looked down on the other guys in the group. I mean, he liked them, they spent a lot of time together, they were friends, but he didn't have a ton of respect for them. You see, in his opinion, many of them were, well, they're kind of weak, they're kind of timid. They could have all afforded, in his opinion, to be, well, a lot more like him. And so that night, when Jesus told his disciples that in the near future, they were all going to fall away, they were all going to abandon him, Peter stood up and said, no way, not me, maybe these guys, but not me. And Jesus said, Peter, it's written in the prophecies, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And that just made Peter all the more adamant. And he boldly declared, look, I don't know what about those prophecies, but listen, maybe these other losers here, pointing at the other disciples, maybe these other losers would do something like that, but not me. And I wonder how the other disciples must have felt when Peter said that, right? They're probably like, bro, we're right here. Like, we can hear you. Like, maybe wait till we're not here to say that, please. Like, we're right here. And Peter's like, I don't care. It's true. Look at you guys. You probably would do something like that, but not me. I'm committed, and I'm not afraid. I am ready to lay down my life for Jesus. And Jesus told him, Peter, slow your roll, bro, because listen, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Well, Peter was determined to prove Jesus wrong. No way, man. No way. I'm going to prove you wrong. And so they continued their walk on the Mount of Olives, that hill adjacent to the city of Jerusalem. And eventually they made their way to a public park called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus wanted to stop there and pray. So they did. But as they were there, uh, we read that a big group of people, a mob, entered the park carrying swords and clubs. They were led by Judas, one of Jesus' disciples who had betrayed him by working with the Jewish leaders to hand him over to them in the middle of the night. And so as this mob descended upon Jesus with swords and clubs in their hands, Peter must have thought to himself, this is it. This is the moment that Jesus was talking about when he's going to be attacked and everybody's going to scatter. He said, this is it. I'm going to show him. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to turn and run. So what did Peter do? He reached in his coat and he pulled out that weapon that he had been concealing this entire time. He took out that weapon and he attacked. He cut off one of the men's ears who was part of that mob. But much to Peter's surprise, rather than being proud of him, Jesus scolded him. Jesus told him, Peter, put away your weapon. I don't need you to defend me. If I needed to be defended, I would call on the Father and he would send a legion of angels to defend me. I don't need you and your little sword there. And then Jesus willingly handed himself over to this mob for them to bind him 
and for them to lead him away. Well, when that happened, it says there in Matthew's gospel that all of the disciples left him and fled. They all ran away except for one, except for Peter. Peter, it says, rather than running away with the other disciples, Peter followed the mob from a distance, and he followed this mob as they led Jesus up to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And they took Jesus to the home of the high priest in the middle of the night because they wanted to convict him of blasphemy so they could justify putting him to death. And so Peter, he tried to get as close to the action as he could. First, he followed the mob from afar off, and he snuck into the courtyard where a crowd had gathered in the courtyard of the home of the high priest. And so Peter did his best to kind of blend in with the crowd. And at this point, you got to understand, Peter must have been thinking to himself, see, I showed them. I showed them. I proved them all wrong. After all, when the mob had attacked Jesus, Peter had stood his ground. When the other disciples had run away after the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter had not run away. He had followed the mob, and he was right there, standing right outside the building where the action was happening, where Jesus was standing trial before the high priest. And he must have said to himself in his heart, he must have said, See, I proved them all wrong. I showed them. I'm no coward. All those other losers, they all did it. When things got hard, they turned and they ran, but not me. Apparently, I'm the only one around here who really loves Jesus. And as Peter was standing there in the courtyard, the gospel writers tell us that there was a fire there in the courtyard where people were warming themselves in there in the middle of the night. And maybe it was the flames of the fire illuminating Peter's face. But whatever it was that caused this to happen, one of the young servant girls who was standing there in the courtyard said, Hey, I recognize you. You're friends with that guy, Jesus, the guy who's on trial inside right now. And Peter, immediately, he denied it. He said, no, you're mistaken. You've got the wrong guy. I've never met him. I'm not associated with him. Peter was afraid. He was afraid that he, too, would be arrested just like Jesus. And so Peter, he walked away from the fire, maybe trying to get away from the light of the fire. Instead, he went and stood at the entrance to the courtyard, maybe near the gate or the opening to the courtyard. But then... A little while later, another servant girl recognized him. Maybe these servants had been with the mob that was there capturing Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and she told the others, hey, everybody, this guy was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter then began to swear. He said, I do not know the man. I have nothing to do with him. Now, his denial must have been pretty convincing because it seems that people left him alone, at least for a little while, until verse 73 tells us some other people came and they said, you are one of Jesus' followers. We can tell because of your accent. You're not from around here. You're a Galilean. And Peter, it says at that point, invoked a curse upon himself and he began to swear, I have nothing to do with that man. And right then, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered what Jesus had told him, that before the rooster would crow, you will deny me three times. And it says that he went out into the dark and empty streets of Jerusalem, weeping bitterly. How many of you have ever done something where you thought, well, that's it, right? There's no, there's no coming back from that. There's no way to recover from that. I've gone too far. There's no way that I'll be able to keep my job after that. There's no way that my wife or my husband will ever forgive me. There's no way that my kids will ever respect me. There's no way that that person will ever talk to me again because I've burned the bridges. I've irreparably damaged this relationship. 
And maybe it wasn't just one big event that, that caused that relationship to break down. Maybe it was a lot of little things over time. Death by a thousand paper cuts, right? The little events that cause trust or respect to erode over time in that relationship. Years of neglect, years of unkind words, or years of mistakes. And the relationship is at the point where it seems it can never be fixed. I think that all of us have experienced that kind of situation in our lives. But in our passage today, we're going to see how a broken relationship can be restored. The title of today's message is The Restoration of Peter. And in this passage, we're going to see that sin leads to separation. But in order for restoration to take place, there must be death that leads to new life. That's our sentence for today. It'll also be our outline for how we study this passage. I want you to write it down, memorize it, take it with you, take a photo, whatever you got to do. This will be our takeaway truth, our one-sentence summary. So write that down, and that'll be our, our outline that we use to study this passage. You ready? Sin leads to separation. Peter had sinned greatly in the crucial moment when he had the opportunity to identify himself with Jesus he chose to curse Jesus and deny him before others. Peter probably remembered as he walked the streets of Jerusalem that night, weeping to himself. He probably remembered Jesus' words from years ago when Jesus had told them this, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. According to Jesus' own words, what Peter had just done was a damnable sin. Throughout the Bible, we see that sin leads to separation. We see it from the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. Then we see it with their kids, Cain and Abel. We see it throughout all of the annals of history. And in the book of Isaiah, we are told explicitly, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God. You see, it's not only true in regard to our relationship with God, but it's also true in regard to our relationships with other people. Sin leads to separation. At the root of every conflict, there is sin. There is sin, whether it's social or whether it's personal. Sin is at the root of every conflict. You know, the word sin, it's actually an archery term. It comes from archery, and it means to miss the mark. It means to fall short of perfection. Maybe you say, well, hey, wait a second. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. You're absolutely right. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. But just because it's common doesn't mean it doesn't have consequences. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, 
facing nine common barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. You see, when we fall short, when we miss the mark in our relationships, for example, there are always repercussions, hurt feelings, broken trust, frustration, disappointment, and over time, those things lead to separation. And in our relationship with God, the stakes are even higher. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. That's what's at stake. What's at stake is the horror of eternity separated from God. So think about Peter here in this moment. He runs out of this courtyard, weeping into the streets because he realizes that not only has he betrayed Jesus as his friend, but he's also sinned against God by turning his back on the Savior. How do you ever come back from something like that? Jesus had flat out said, if you deny me before men, then I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And now Peter has committed this damnable sin. How do you recover from this? Well, that brings us to our next part of our sentence. Sin leads to separation. But in order for restoration to take place, there must be death that leads to new life. You know, Peter wasn't the only one of Jesus' disciples who betrayed him that night. Judas Iscariot, the one who had led that mob to find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was also one of Jesus' disciples, and he also betrayed Jesus and it handed him over to the Jewish leaders who wanted to kill him. And the Bible tells us that both Peter and Judas, having denied Jesus, having betrayed him, having sinned against him, that night as they left their respective places, they felt terrible. They felt awful about what they had done. They both were filled with a sense of guilt and shame and regret over what they had done. But here's the thing. Peter and Judas, they chose to deal with their regret and their guilt and their shame in two very different ways. Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, he felt bad, and it says that he went out and he hanged himself. Maybe he thought that by doing this, he could somehow atone for his sins. But Judas's actions, of course, they didn't fix anything at all. They didn't fix the rift that had been created between him and God. He couldn't undo by killing himself the actions that he had done. It didn't atone for his sins. It didn't redeem his soul. But Peter, on the other hand, rather than taking his own life, at some point, after crying in the streets, he made his way back to the other disciples. He returned to the other disciples. And I wonder if he was afraid that they wouldn't accept him or maybe they would look down on him. But Peter was willing to take those risks. After all, where else could he go? And those other disciples, apparently they did welcome Peter back in, even in spite of what he had done. Because on the third day after Jesus was crucified, Peter was there when the women returned from the tomb who had gone there at daybreak to, to anoint the body of Jesus. They returned with the news that the tomb was empty, that Jesus wasn't there. And Peter then raced to the tomb to look inside to see for himself if it was so. And indeed, he saw that the grave was empty and Jesus wasn't there. And it's interesting what happened next. We're told in the Gospel of Luke and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that on the day of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus met with Peter individually, personally, apart from all of the other disciples. 
Now, we don't know the details of what happened during that meeting, but you can imagine Peter must have been eager to apologize, to ask for forgiveness from Jesus for what he had done, and to ask Jesus if, after what he had done, Jesus would ever be willing to forgive him and take him back. And Jesus' answer was, yes, yes. You know, it's been said that in order for a broken relationship to be restored, somebody's got to die. Somebody has to die. Listen, in order for your broken relationship with God to be restored, only the death of Jesus could pay the price for your sins. It says in 1 John that only the blood of Jesus is able to cleanse us from all of our sins because he is the propitiation for our sins. Judas couldn't pay the price for his own sins. And friends, you would never be able to pay the price for your sins, the things that you have done against God. You cannot do enough ever to repair the broken relationship with God that you have created by your actions. But Jesus Christ came in order to cleanse us from our sins by taking the judgment for our sins in our place on the cross. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that Jesus was able to do that? Well, look at our sentence again. It tells us this. Sin leads to separation. But in order for restoration to take place, there must be death that leads to new life. You see, death alone is not enough. Anybody can die, right? That's not, that's not even hard. Many people have died, but only Jesus' death was able to pay the price for the sins of others. Why? Because Jesus was the only one who lived a truly righteous life the only one who lived without sin. And as a result, he is the only one who is qualified to take our place and pay the price for our sins. And you know what else? His resurrection is the proof that he succeeded in doing it. It's the proof. It's the receipt that he paid the price in full. Think about it like this. If you were to wind up in jail and you were to call me with your one phone call from jail and say, Nick, I'm in jail. I need you to come and bail me out. You go get the money, and you come and bail me out. And I say, okay, I'm on it. And then what do you do? Well, you're going to sit in jail, and you don't have a phone. You don't know if I'm going to do it or not. How do you know if I did it? Well, you'll know if I did it if somebody comes and opens the doors to the prison. Well, in the same way, Jesus' resurrection is the receipt that he did indeed pay the price in order to set you free. The, the fact that he died and then walked out of those prison gates of death into new life, it's the proof, it's the receipt that he paid the price in full. And therefore, when this life is over, death will have no hold, no grip on you. Only the death of Jesus can bring about the, the restoration of your broken relationship with God. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul the Apostle tells us this. He says, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Judas, he felt bad for what he had done. But in his sorrow, it led to death rather than salvation. But Peter, on the other hand, he chose to repent and turn to the Lord, which led to salvation and a restored relationship with God. But you know what else? This is, this is not only true in regard to relationship with God. This is also true in regard to relationships with other people. Whereas sin causes separation and division, in order to restore a broken relationship, somebody's got to die. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Unless someone is willing to die to themselves, die to their pride, in order to humble themselves and be the first to seek restoration, to apologize, to, to seek out the other, then restoration will never happen. Somebody's got to die to themselves. Somebody's got to die to their pride. And maybe you say, sure thing. 
as soon as that other person who offended me is willing to come and apologize for what they did wrong, then I'll be willing to forgive them and restore the relationship. Hang on a second. You know that to be a follower of Jesus, think about what it means. It means to be a follower, an imitator of a man who came in order to die to restore a broken relationship with people, and he had done nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't dying for his sins. He wasn't the offending party. And yet he came and gave his life for us, the Bible tells us, while we were still sinners, when we were yet enemies of his, he came in order to restore this broken relationship by taking the first step. And this is what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me and follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know what that is? That is an invitation to die. An invitation to die to yourself, to willingly lay down your life, to lay down your pride. In order for broken relationships to be restored, it may require you to be willing to die to yourself and seek out reconciliation, even when you feel that you are the one who was offended, not the offender. In the situation with Peter, look at this. Is Jesus the offender or the offended? He's the offended. And yet Jesus comes and he seeks Peter out. He's the one who acts and steps in order to restore this broken relationship. And in John chapter 21, Jesus now is about to seek out Peter once again. He's already restored him privately in that private meeting they had on Easter Sunday. But now, in order to restore him publicly, Jesus is going to meet with him in front of the other disciples. In John chapter 21, verse 1, let me walk you through the text. It says that the disciples had gone back to the Sea of Tiberias. That's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew's gospel tells us that after Jesus appeared to his disciples on Resurrection Sunday, he told them, go ahead of me to Galilee and I will meet you there. I'll come, I'll come after you, and I'll meet you there up in Galilee. So they went back to Galilee, back home to where they were from, and they're waiting for Jesus. They don't know when he's going to arrive. And so verse 3 of chapter 21 tells us that Peter says, well, guys, we're just sitting around waiting. We might as well go fishing. And so they all say, okay, fine, let's go fishing. So they all go out in their boats, and all night long they fish. A couple hundred yards off of shore is what it tells us. They're fishing all night, and they don't catch anything. Verse 4 tells us that just as dawn was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore and he called out to them. But at first they didn't realize that it was him. And Jesus shouted to them and he told them, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And so they said, well, what do we have to lose? We haven't caught anything all night anyway. Let's go ahead and do it. So they cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And suddenly this amazing, huge haul of fish comes in. And immediately that triggered a memory in John's mind. He remembered the time back when Jesus first met them, when Jesus had done something similar on the shores of that same sea. Jesus had called out to them and said, hey, you guys fishing? Try and throw it on the other side. And they did, and they caught a huge load of fish. And that triggered the memory. Oh my gosh, John said, it's Jesus. He's the one on the shore. They couldn't see him from the distance and the fog. And so John tells Peter, Peter, it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? With his clothes on, he just jumps right in the water, and he swims as fast as he can to meet Jesus. And of course, leaves the other guys to haul in the fish. That's what it tells us in verse 8. And so when the other guys finally haul in these fish and they make their way to shore, they see that Jesus has prepared a fire and he's cooking fish for them to eat together. And it says there in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
What is Jesus saying here? What is the these that he's referring to? Do you love me more than what? Do you love me more than these fishing boats, than these fishing nets, than these fish? No, 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 no. Do you remember? Do you remember on the night when Jesus was betrayed how Peter had proudly declared that he loved Jesus more than anybody else loved Jesus, that he loved Jesus more than any of those other losers, right, those other disciples? What is Jesus doing? He's calling him out. After everything that's happened, he says to him, Peter, do you still think that you're awesome and these other guys are losers? Do you still think you love me more than anybody else? You can imagine Peter's face turning bright red. He's struggling to, to choke out the words and respond, and he finally says, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, there's something going on here that you wouldn't immediately pick up on if you only read the text in English. But the original readers of this, they would have picked up on this because this, again, this Bible wasn't written in English. Of course, it was written in Koine or common Greek. And in Greek, the Greek language has several words to describe different forms of love. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 